1: Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a calm conversation about the mundane. The person snoring in the background, you might hear, is a fan favorite, Dan Barker. That's Amanda's father. I'm in Florida. Amanda's in the pool with her mom, and I'm in the kitchen with Dan Barker. Welcome to the podcast yet again, Dan. Thank you. It's always nice to have you here. You're, you're certainly a fan. Uh, you have a lot of fans out there who want more Dan Barker content, so I'm happy to have you. Well, I'm happy to be here. All right. I wanted to talk to you about auctions. Uh-huh. Amanda told me that you, one of your jobs, one of your first jobs, was at an auction house. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Tell us more about that. Well,
0: when I was in high school, at a very young age... There was an auction gallery that had been in our town for years, and the owner happened to be friends back in his younger days with my parents. So I kind of got a uh, inside uh, recommendation, and so I was uh, working in the auction gallery. I was one of the what we call the holders. That would bring items out to be auctioned off, etc. And during high school, um, I had other jobs, but if I had free time, I could always get a job there for the night or the weekend or whatever. Was this in Hanover, Mass? This was in Hanover, Mass. Okay. The name was Cook's Auction
1: Gallery. All right. And what would a holder do?
0: Well, our job was to bring items out from uh, the gallery itself and bring them up on stage to be auctioned off. And as simple as that sounds, there is a bit of a science behind it. How so? Well, you have to read the crowd. Oftentimes we would get crowds that uh, were into antiques and old stuff, So they didn't really want to see any modern furniture or anything of that nature. Yet other times we might get all young couples and that's all they wanted to see. So you had to know pretty much what the crowd was feeling. And we had some regular customers, so we pretty much knew, you know, uh, what to start with and how to build it up from there. Sure, sure.
1: And... What did you learn from that job about auctions and antiques, et cetera? Well, it was all uh, basic
0: knowledge, as I call it. Um, I know enough now t- uh, to be dangerous. Okay. But I don't consider myself an
1: authority on,
0: on goods or anything of that nature.
1: Share with us some of the tips or the things that you learned that make you a dangerous auction hunter.
0: Uh well, first of all, at an auction, one, the first step is, if you go to an auction, what you should do is survey the gallery itself. See what they're going to bring up for the auction. So get there a little early, peruse the uh, uh, surroundings, but uh, peruse the goods they're going to bring up and which ones interest you, and also take a good, close look at it. Okay. Because in auctions, you're buying it in whatever condition it is, unless it's stated otherwise. Um, the other thing is, judge your crowd that you're with. Some people go to the auction just for the entertainment value, but others are there, uh, they're quite serious in what they're looking for. I see. Um, one of the things that I started to collect, actually, as a young kid, was Civil War uh, mementos, okay. let's call them. And uh, I had those right through high school. And if uh, somebody brought something up, like a Union waistcoat or something sure. that I wanted, uh, you know, I would bid on them, even if I was working the auction. Um the other in whatever happened to my collection, was I went in the Army. Now, so my poor mother, what happened is she took all of my stuff, cleaned my room out, and got rid of it. I see. So I lost all of the Civil War stuff I collected, as well as my bicycle, sure. my baseball glove, etc., um, fact of the matter is, we're looking at it at fifty-five years later, and I'm still around. So. Right.
1: Fair enough. And though you no longer have those items, you certainly have acquired a few important pieces in your collection of things you've picked up along the way. Would you say?
0: Well, some. Okay. But uh, I only collect certain things. Sure. And it's all always something that I like. Like bells, for example. Like bells. Um, because of my time in the music industry, I'm attuned to uh, the sound of bells. What makes a good bell for your collection? Well, I only collect uh, bronze or metal bells. Okay. And uh, because I know about the material and how they're cast, etc. Um, but uh, one of the things you go for, in a collection anyway, is for pitch I see. Some are high pitch, some are lower pitch, some have great clarity, others not so
1: much so. I see. I see. And does an older bell make a different sound? Like, are they harder to find good pitch older bells? If that makes any sense. Well, does it one lose? one would argue sometimes that
0: older bells are uh, aged in, if you will. Sure, and. Uh, Therefore, they, they have a better tone. I honestly can't say that I endorse that, but okay. I, you know that is how some people look at it. Tell us about your greatest bell find. Well, my greatest bell find was actually at an auction in Canada. Okay. And what it was was an estate auction And the gentleman who uh, was there, who owned it, uh, brought it out for the auctioneer on a table. He carried uh, like a card table out with these bells. And I looked at them, and I counted them, and there were 13. I said, wait a minute. That could be an octave of tuned bells. Right. So... Nobody really knew what they were, just where the bells were. In fact, the au- auctioneer made a statement. He said, uh, they are missing the clapper. And that tipped me off to say, oh, they are tuned bells. I see. So I picked those up for a song. Um, if you were to try to buy a set like that, uh, it would cost you approximately uh, $1,300 oh, wow. plus. You know, and, and what is the clapper? That is a little uh, thing that in a normal handbell, that when you uh, twist it and turn and
1: shake it about, uh, rings the bell. Oh, so the part that's inside the bell, the yep. little um, right. pendulum type thing. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I guess that that speaks to what you said before. Know the items that you're looking for, yeah. right? And the other thing about this collection, apparently the gentleman bought this
0: in pieces because there were bells made in America but uh what I was very pride, prideful of once I got them were these bells made in
1: Switzerland. Oh uh, I still have a couple actually I would imagine the Swiss know how to make a bell because their cows yeah. have bells yeah these a these are all cast and uh, uh
0: The logos of the Swiss and what have you are right in the
1: casting itself. Fantastic. Okay, so other than bells, what's something else that you have an eagle eye for? Oh,
0: that's in your collection,
1: my my collection, (laughs) or in your auction days that you've acquired.
0: Well. Looking back on nostalgic items, such as uh, milk bottles. Oh, yes. We don't have milk bottles anymore, and yet um, they're quite collectible at this point. And in fact, we have, right down the street, we had a dairy. Um, Here in Florida? No, oh. no I'm sorry, up in Massachusetts. Okay. And um, it was called Ritter Farms. And we have a little old cheese box okay. from that we found down here in Florida. Oh, here in Florida. Yeah. We were at an estate sale and just had to get it because, again, it was home. Uh, but uh, I've collected some milk bottles, usually older ones. I started when my wife and I uh, lived in and owned a uh, one-room schoolhouse. Right, I went underneath this open uh, basement area and there were all these broken bottles inkwells and milk bottles etc and most of them were broken because what the kids would do is in the opening would, they would throw them underneath
1: so in the opening the, under the schoolhouse they would just throw whatever yeah. I guess to see what kind of crash they could make or how far they could throw it so
0: uh, there was a lot of broken glass, but I found a, a couple of bottles that were uh,
1: intact. I didn't find any inkwells intact, but... The, the milk bottles you did. Now, you found a prized milk bottle when we were up near my cottage at a flea market that had a very particular design to it, remember?
0: Yes, actually, I, I, I bought a couple, Okay, uh, if you remember. Uh, so let me, one was looked like a standard quart bottle, sure. But what intrigued me is the phone number of the dairy was only three digits. So that was way back, you know when phones were first out, right? But the second one was one I hadn't seen since my grandfather um, had a milk delivery service at his house. And what that was was a little bulb on top of the main compartment. And what you would do is you would just sit the, the milk uh, out and the top part would turn to cream, would be cream, and the rest would be the milk. So right. my grandfather would always, in his morning coffee, make sure there was cream there. And, and I, when I saw it, I said, wow, I haven't seen one of those in
1: a long, long time. So to describe it, it's almost like you have a glass globe. On top of the milk bottle, and in that little glass globe or circle, however you want to describe it, yep. the size of a golf ball, would you say? A
0: little bigger. A little bigger yeah, than a golf yeah, ball. Yep.
1: That's where the cream would sit. That's right. And the milk would be underneath, yeah. and the cream would act actually act sort of as a seal to the milk.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, the bottle would have a, a cardboard cap. Right. Like other milk bottles. Sure.
1: But uh, Yeah. And then you would you could pour the top, which would be the cream in your coffee. What an ingenious right. uh, device that we no longer see. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Another interesting uh, thing about auctions is many people get into this hypersensitive, I call it, area where, for some reason, they just keep bidding. You know, they go long past what they should have bid and they'll just keep going. And if you get a couple of people that want an item, uh, you'll have a bidding war out there. Right. And those are fun. Sure. You know, who's going to give in first is the, is the thing. And working there, you're, you're always on the lookout for those things to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I actually uh, worked there not only through my Teenage years, but when I got out of the army, um, I, w- I also worked for him. Uh, I was only 21, but uh, I st- started working for him during the week. And this right. was, his name was Louis Cook, and Louis would do different things. Like he would buy, he was very big into uh, plants. Plants? Plants. Okay. So every spring, we'd take the uh, big truck down. And just loaded up with all these plants, you know that they were uh, oh just all types of things that uh, that he liked, and that was always a big hit. you know it might take a couple of weeks to sell them all, but sure, nonetheless uh, you know there was no uh, uh lowe's or home hardware home depot sure, type and of those stores. hardware stores sure. So he, you know, people knew, oh, wait a minute, let's see if Louie's got his plants in yet. And they'd come down to, even during the week, would stay open a little later. But one interesting day is he purchased the contents of a house. Okay. And it was an older house. Um, it was actually called a tri-level up in Boston. And I went there with uh, a crew of two. To, he bought everything in there, so everything... Had to come out. Sure. And I looked at the stove, and as I'm looking at the stove, I looked at the stove pipe that led outside, and I said, "That's kind of funny. You don't see those anymore, you know." Right. This guy had a a a wood burning stove, or what? You know, what was this thing? So, anyways, I just intuitively I took the stove pipe and I said, "Well, we'll take the stove anyway." So I knocked the stove pipe up. And in back of the stovepipe, there was a coffee can. And I said, whoa, that's also very strange. So I grabbed it, and it was filled with uh, gold and silver coins. Oh, wow. Yeah. And being the honest person I was, of course, I brought it right back to Louis. because guess what? Not only did he have a hobby with plants, but he collected coins. Oh, my goodness. So, you know. I was you know I was a golden boy there sure. for a long time. Did he ever give you one of the coins as a show of thanks? Uh no, but uh, again as a show of thanks anyways. He again he let me work as much as right. I wanted and you know uh, it it worked out well when we first got married because sure. it was
1: a good part-time job. Tell me about some of the interesting unique, unusual items or maybe high-valued items that came through that auction house during your time?
0: Yeah, the, you know, uh, antiques, especially up around the Boston area, were, you know, that highly valued. Um, and so if we had any of those, we knew we are going to sell them. Uh, and Louie was smart enough to be able to appraise them before he went up, so he knew what he had to get for them. But uh, one time, we had many outbuildings. These were small sheds around the property. Sure, property was approximately five acres. Oh wow! And so some of these outbuildings people hadn't been in for years. And one night I decided I'm just going to go to you know building E here and go in with a flashlight, see what I can find. So I go in. And one of the things I saw was this, uh, the remnants, I, cu- I called it, of a rocking chair. Okay. It was all in pieces. And I said, oh, what the heck, you know? This is a type of auction you never know, because the antiques were selling. Anyways, uh, I brought it out. I couldn't believe it. As, I ho- as I'm holding it, everybody's bidding on it. Okay. And the bidding went up and up and up. And I'm looking at the lawyer, the auctioneer. He's looking at me, you know, and his eyes are getting large. Sure. So we sold that for a pretty penny, and he wasn't even aware that he had it out there. Right. So what what happens the next week?
1: Yeah, we're out there cleaning all of the buildings <laughs> looking for stuff. Sure, sure. What was it about that rocking chair that, that made it so prized?
0: Yeah, I... I mean, it wasn't uh, any thing I knew, and it was in pieces, so it was difficult to distinguish. Sure. So he just called it a Boston rocker. I see. And there is such a thing as a Boston rocker, but you know, don't ask me to tell you what it looks like when it's put together.
1: Was there anything that surprised you that had value that you found that went up for auction, or was there a painting that you were like, "Wow, we didn't—I didn't realize we had that in our collection."
0: Every once in a while, we would get get in uh, a lot of the local artists up around Massachusetts. Okay. And so I got to see quite a bit of the old uh, people doing uh, the Yankee Clipper ships and what have you. Sure. And some of those went for good, good money. Wow. Even though the artists might be...
1: I'm known or only regionally known right you know it's interesting we were watching antique Roadshow the other day which is another show that i love to watch because it's a very calm show um and it's interesting it's fascinating and it's particularly fascinating watching it with you because of your insight with regards to antiques and i noticed that a lot of the um I don't know what you call them, I guess the people who appraise the items Mm -hmm. are based out of Boston. Like you'll always see their names and then where they're based out of.
0: Yeah, there's a few, yeah. Not only uh, notice where they're based out of, but just hear them talk, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I parked my car and.
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) What's funny is you don't have to put on the accent because you. No, I know, I (laughs) do. I still have it, don't I? Yeah. You do. What are some tips you would say with regards to when you pick up silver and you're looking at silver, say, at an auction or at a flea market or an estate sale? You better know what you're looking at. Okay. A
0: lot of people will look for uh, the marks. Right. Now, in England, English silver is easy because there'll be a mark showing you the purity of the silver used, where it was cast or right. made. And um, often, uh, you by the mark itself, you can go back and figure out who particularly made it. Right. Uh, it's not so much so with uh, North American silver. I see. Uh, American silver, yes. You do have some trademarks and other things. But um, we just... Picked up a uh, floral pot that it was made out of silver, and it looks like it's quite old. And there's only one mark on it. And right. It's Canadian. Okay. So um, you you look for those things, but the other thing is you got to know what you're looking at. Right. If you unfortunately I can see your viewers it. can't see it, but right. that middle. Um, cup there, yeah. That was made out of what they call coin silver, and it's most probably two to three hundred years old. Oh, wow! Yeah. And where did you get that? Uh, we actually inherited it. Okay. Yeah. Um, how long has it been in the family? I I really can't tell you. There's Fair no enough. nothing on it. You know. So how do you know that's coin silver, for example? Ah, uh, well, take a look, and you'll see that it was hammered out. Very similar to the piece we just picked up. The floral. Yeah, yeah. the floral arrangement part. Um, If you look, a good silversmith uh, back in the day, I'm talking hundreds of years ago, or a hundred years ago anyways, when they hammered everything out, um, you're not going to see very much in hammer marks. But if you look closely, you might just see, uh, such as this one, a little piece and you go wait a minute look at those bumps right this was hand hammered out wow um, this there's also other things about silver I mean because of the price of silver right. on the market um, it's surprising what you could pick up I mean I used to pick up uh, uh, silver dollars when I was a kid right I think my mother got rid of those too um but I didn't get them. Mm-hmm. But the uh, about a year ago, I went to an estate sale, and there was a key ring. And somebody had made a key ring out of a silver dollar. Right. And I asked the gentleman, I said, well, what do you want for it? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, a buck would do it. Oh, okay. Well, I walked out. It was silver alone was worth, you know, $23 right. U.S. So. You know, I felt pretty good about that. Of course, yeah, That's I wanted to go back and go through all this
1: stuff. <laughs> well, it just goes back to what you said: know the value of the items that you have. Clearly, he didn't, and you did.
0: The other thing about auctions, and estate sales, sure, and flea markets, etc. Buy what you like. Yeah. Don't think you're making an investment. When it happens, it's fine. Great, but. It's something you may have to live with for quite a while. Uh,
1: Make sure you like it. I like vases. I like to see vases or vases, Mm -hmm. and I don't really know much, but I I know when I turn them over and I see that it says West Germany or Nippon, I know that they're older pieces, right? Because now it's Germany. It's not separated by East or West, and Nippon is now Japan. And so looking, or it's marked as Japan now on on, uh, ceramics and whatnot. Do you have any ceramic tips for me or vase tips for me? I I know that I always get what I like, so no matter what it's worth, I'm always enjoying it. Exactly. But in
0: Japanese, uh, where Noritake is a good old name. Right. And under that, it will say Nippon. Right. It won't say Japan. Then you know you've got something. There you Um, go. uh, you're right about Germany, West Germany, etc. But there's also uh, a lot of people don't recognize uh, porcelain or uh, dishware, etc. Right. That came out of, say, the German states. They're ah. not going to say Germany or anything like that, but they might say Westphalia. I see. You know? Was Bavaria or things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hanover is an old area of Germany of course and some people look at it and go oh Hanover oh that's up in uh, New Hampshire
1: right uh, you know no it isn't there you go <laughs> well Dan thank you so much for sharing all this knowledge you have about auctions is there a bell you're looking for that maybe one of our listeners might be like I, I know that bell <laughs> um, any bell made out of bronze okay
0: that is cast they make bells now out of flat metal um, yeah, those are newer bells, etc. But cast bells. The old ship bells are all cast.
1: What do you mean by cast? Do you mean like hand-poured? Like, That's right. Like from in a, in a mold. foundry, yeah. in a mold? Versus what would be the alternative, like spun or like shaped with Well, a it tool?
0: could, it, yeah, it could okay. be spun. Okay. But um, normally it, it would be hammered out with automatic hammers, etc. Or presses. And... Uh, You know, there's
1: little value there, unless it's uh, gold or silver. (laughs) But what tells you that it's cast? Is there something that you look at that you're like, this is cast, versus one that's hammered out or one that's... Uh, Yeah, actually, there's a couple of things you look
0: for. One is look inside the bell. Oh. Because after they cast it, they may try to tune them to a, a note, and you'll see the lathe marks on the inside going up. Usually they go about halfway up okay. and stop, right. and the rest is rough. So if you see a rough
1: surface, good chance it's cast. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that, listeners. I hope if you're still awake, you got some value out of those tips that Dan gave us with regards to auctions. And I hope that if you're not with us, that you were able to listen and sleep We'll have more of Dan Barker in December when our holiday episodes come out, and I'll be back in Florida in December, so maybe you and I will record some more episodes for our listeners. Thank you, Dan. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you once again to all our listeners.